Hey, everybody. Welcome. Episode three. We made it to three, Isaac. We did it. We made it to three. Woohoo! We're here. Uh, I am Randall Lobb. And I am Isaac Elliott Fisher. We're socially distancing here in our production studio in beautiful downtown Canada. Uh, it has been a stressful week to watch the news. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and set it aside, but what we're talking about today is linked to some news in another stressful time in the same country. We're talking about X-Men under 66. X-Men prior to the big run everybody knows about, the big run that we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about some early X-Men titles that you probably should pick up according to our theories, our strategies. And we're talking about them as pertains to our friends and partners cover price C-O-V-R-P-R-I-C-E.com. And Isaac will be on the old cover price machine today. He's all geared up with his fingers on the cover price. Isaac, um, before we... Here we go. There he gets ready. Isaac, before we get into the chit-chat, I want to tell you we have a special guest tonight. It's the first time we've had a guest. That's right. We have an X-Men enthusiast. An Mm. Uh, X-Fanatic. Oh, I heard a voice. Our X-Men enthusiast is a collector, but... This is it. This is the best part. He doesn't collect from this chunk. We have Ryan Buckley. Look at him. He's Hello, in space. everybody. Now joining you live from the danger room in my basement. Isaac is uh, is the danger room something you know about? You're not an X Men collector either. Uh, me? Yeah. Oh uh, no. I I kind of thought that he looked like he was in some sort of like Tron room, <clears throat> a 1980s sci-fi yeah. movie. Isaac uh, doesn't know about the danger room. Ryan, how would you explain it to someone who's not certain about it? Um, it's kind of like the Star Trek holodeck that intended to hone the mutants and get them to work together. Usually what happens is they're not doing well until they decide to work as a team and everything works out. It's just like this episode. Every time. Yeah. We, this podcast only works when we work as a team. I don't know if I even introduce myself. Anyway, I'll say, again, if you didn't catch it, I'm Randall Lobb. We're from Definitive Film, Isaac Elliott Fisher. We have Ryan Buckley. And tonight we have, we're running with a man short. Mark Hussey can't be with us tonight. He's got uh, family obligations. He's dealing with family issues. Mm. And we have Nick doing this by himself here tonight. So if we do have any technical issues, these issues are because Nick only has five arms. Mm. Mm. So poor Nick himself is a mutant, <laughs> and that's what we're here to talk about. That's right. Mutants. Now, before we go too deep into the minutia, which is what we love to do here, we love to talk details, let me go into a little history of the X-Men. And Ryan, you said something to me off camera tonight that you were surprised. Uh, Stanley, Jack Kirby didn't just do X-Men number one. What were they doing at the exact same time? It's unbelievable. Like, talk about a great month. So earlier, the month when they released X-Men, which was uh, 1963, they did another team book. So two team books, that's like a lot of characterization. Yeah. Um, And uh, But the other book, people may not have heard of this one as much. Uh, It was called The Avengers. Yeah, it's a scrappy little could have been team. Yeah. Too bad they fizzled into nothing and never went anywhere. So the the Avengers and X-Men both follow a pattern, but they are not the same. In fact, what is interesting about the X-Men is what made them sort of peter out after 66 issues. 
And that's September 63, I believe that came out. So late summer 63, uh, Avengers and X-Men come out at the same time. Why do we want to contextualize the X-Men as being a little different? Well, let's play a game. Let's pretend that we're juggling uh, comics and, and comic elements. We know that Spider-Man <clears throat> works. We know that we have a teenager with relatable teenage problems. Uh, it was selling immediately. It was popular, partially because of beautiful Steve Ditko art, but also because this character is relatable and kids could get behind it. We know that the Fantastic Four works. It's a science fiction-y team, and it fits into a model of, you know, kind of a science fiction movie, and there was a monster thing that sort of coincided with what was hot if you look at those early FF issues and what was happening in movies and sort of influenced that. And you have the Avengers that are a team, but they're sort of a team that fit. I think they almost had a a little more fanciful old school element compared to the Fantastic Four. The Avengers maybe were tied back to some history. You look at Captain America, for example. What the X-Men did was they come out, they come out as a mash together if you took some of the teenage angst and some of the teenage hokiness and lifestyle and you put it together with some of that team stuff, you have a little bit of the old school and you have a little bit of the science fiction. Is that a fair thing to say, guys? Well, here's the thing I was wondering is that I know that when you get later into like 90s properties and stuff like that, especially you get into that obsession with the um, sort of the mutation thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is obviously way before that. So yeah. is it picking up on something else post-war that is mutation-y? Yeah. It's funny you say it. Um, it. It could be that it's as simple as this. This is a, a Stanley interview that you could find online. He was tired of thinking of reasons why people would have superheroes. <laughs> well, actually, that's something yeah. I, I did. I think I read up on that is that he said he he had to come up with, as you say, he had to come up with, origins of oh this is how he got his superpower or how mm -hmm. she became a superhero and then the x-men was like literally they're mutants and end of description <laughs> but it's interesting that it's 1963 yeah exactly um we'll talk about that in a minute sorry you're gonna say something ryan yeah i was gonna say i think women always originally linked to like radiation because he wanted to keep it science fiction as opposed to like some kind of mysticism or anything else. So it was like a scientific reason. And that would have been, if you think about the timing of that, mm -hmm. um, it would have been pretty uh, part of the consciousness. I'm wondering if it, and I, I don't want to get too crazy here, but if it goes back to Watson and Crick in the discovery of DNA, like if mm -hmm. you think about oh, right. making yeah. comics and, and sort of grasping at science and the, you had gamma rays, you had cosmic rays, you had radioactive spiders, you had some sciencey stuff. Maybe Stan was thinking, you know what, born this way, but knew enough from common culture about what was happening with DNA. Because later it bakes in very seriously throughout the X-Men. Yeah. <clears throat> but what, what I like about that early, that first issue, now here I'll pull something up to the overhead if you want. I unfortunately don't have number one. And Isaac, you might want to look up the reason why uh, yeah. I don't have X-Men 1. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting there. We're having some issues getting my screen. To, You're to having that. some issues. Yeah. Uh, here's X-Men 1. I, of course, both Ryan and I would wish we had it. Oh, um, absolutely. I've got this reprint. I like when the Marvel milestones come out. You can get them for nothing, and they put them on nice paper. It's a nice bind. And you can get a, a 
I don't know, the cheap version of reading it. This is actually a pretty nicely put together title for coming out at a time when they were dealing with the Avengers. And I don't know if you've read this one, Ryan. You probably read it preparing for this. What do you think about this art? Does it feel rushed to you? Um, no, it's very Kirby in places. Mm-hmm. It's maybe lacks some of the dynam- dynam- uh, dynamism that he's known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe... Um, yeah, it's. I think it's because of what we were talking about a little bit off air too about the focus being. To me, it was sort of like a, a teen comedy almost, and it was focusing on like the hijinks and the relationship between the characters. So he's drawing like a lot of like interiors and just rooms and people talking to each other. That's the weird part um, about this. Hey, we're up. But the few, the little fighting bits that happen in there, um, then it turns into like classic Kirby. Uh, just give me an overhead quick. There's something I hate about when they draw angel look at his pants and this is not <laughs> yeah. this is not the only one like this it's not that too do you have it's in several of the issues that we're talking about and over the and, and you can kill the overhead there nick and go cut to, let's see isaac's report mm-hmm. if i want to buy x-men one and by the way i really do uh i think i'm in the right one it says graded seven thousand six hundred dollars this sounds about right but go down and give us the report. Like, where where could a regular person who... Ryan, I don't know if you've thought about this. Have you wondered about buying during Wrong. COVID times? Do you see some titles coming down in value? Um, that's an interesting question about, like, how COVID's impacted the market. I haven't really thought about it. Um, but, yeah, I've thought about investing in it for sure. Um, it's actually... I'm surprised probably, it's this low, to be honest with you. Well, it, at, a, at a at a higher at a higher level, uh, like sorry, a, a higher grade, it becomes very expensive, and you should be able to see that in yeah. cover price. Sorry, I lost. Isaac's having some issues with his computer, so well, well I, I have it on mine. I can tell you that there a nine go. is like the last the last sale at a nine out of ten was thirty four thousand. A nine point a nine point four near mint. $153,134. That's what yeah. I expected. That's holy cow. <laughs> so what I've been doing is, I'll be honest, I've been looking at other things that are in motion. So we know that Daredevil's in motion. I don't know if you guys keep track of Daredevil. Daredevil is sliding back to Disney over the next while. We know that X-Men is going to be rebooted at some point, And we know that the, the cinematic world that Disney and Marvel are creating seems to be the biggest driver right now. We know this is going to happen. I think there's probably a, a reason why you could buy a low-grade or a raw X-Men 1 and feel confident about spending the insane amount of money. Now, I'm not suggesting people who are getting stimulus checks from the government spend those in comics like some people are saying. But I am saying if you're a person who has a job right now, there's a lot of stuff you can't buy. This would be a time that you could buy an investment piece here knowing that once this pent-up desire to see big Marvel movies gets back up, I think there's going to be an X-Men movie. And this is one of the best things to buy because this original team, although it's not the team that gets the biggest focus, it's where it all starts. I think you're right, Rand. I've seen the the titles that are very close to what was happening in the films that have been released already, so Mm -hmm. Dark Phoenix and those characters, Mm -hmm. um, I think that that price is already that, that speculation is baked into the price that you yeah. pay now, and I know that because that's the area that I've actively been collecting over the last few years. 
And once I'll get around to that, it's like a $40 one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then next time I check, it's like, oh, suddenly it's $150. And that's a move over just a couple of years for, uh, you know, like the Dark Phoenix, things like that. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that these earlier ones have seen that effect yet. Um, uh, like and, some and of I'm, I'm going to talk about something that is probably crazy, but I do want to bring it in. Those early X-Men are tied to something that we see happening in culture right now, which is civil rights. And so I'm just going to hit some things really quick. You know, I like to bring history into looking at the comics and I can, you know, I can hear some people will be rolling their eyes because you don't want to talk about what's happening right now in culture I'm an old white guy. This is when I want to listen to other people. I don't want to blast my opinion. So I'm really not blasting an opinion about what's happening. I support protesting. I'm into it. I think we need to listen. And so all that aside, in 1963, you had a company that Marvel uh, is a very Jewish oriented company. The industry is very Jewish oriented. A lot of the protesting and a lot of the young white kids that were working with young black people at the civil rights protest were young Jewish kids. And so you have in 57, the Civil Rights Act, you have the Freedom Riders in 1961, you have the March on Washington in August of 1963, where Martin Luther King has a dream. And then this comes out. Like, I I know it's not a plan, but are you telling me it's not in the water and that someone is as call him hip or not? Someone as tied into the world as Stan Lee, someone who fought in World War II. Jack Kirby was a scout in World War II. He went to a concentration camp as a liberator. He saw firsthand. Are you telling me that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee aren't looking at the world and thinking about this? Mutants, people who are being you know, they look like us, but they're not being treated like us. They do have some physical differences. Some of them don't look like us. I think there's a real civil rights, uh, the civil rights in the air. And to me, that infuses that X-Men 1 with more gravitas, if you can say gravitas about a comic book. Um, these issues we're talking about go up to about 70, I believe, 1970. And look at everything that happens in America between 63 and 70. It's huge. I mean, I think it's also um, when we did an interview with Roy Thomas uh, for the Conan film, he did make mention of the, some of the comics he was reading at that time. That's right. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, I think he was reading, uh, you know, he'd fallen out of love with comics a little bit. He was reading them still as, a, you know, as he grew out of that kind of early comic age. Um, and a lot of that was DC stuff. And like he said, is it gets to the point where he has to pretend that he's a kid to read DC and still like comics, but Marvel was already dealing with really, you know, some very real heavy stuff. They were almost tapping into, like you're saying, what was happening in the culture around them a lot, a lot more openly than DC and not pretending to be like, you know, for kids. We're going to hit Roy Thomas in a minute, but, but think about this. I'm going to pull up. um, This is amazing adventures seven that I'm going to pull up. It's not a collectible issue, but it is a great way to get, uh-huh. X-Men 4. So this is a reprint of X-Men 4. And in X-Men 4, you have Magnet- Magneto. Now, I call him Magneto, Magneto. We could argue about it. I know everybody says Magneto. But but for those that have read the, the titles over the years and have seen the movies, 
Ryan, Magneto's mm-hmm. background is also loaded, and it also ties yeah. into civil rights and the background of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee as, as Jewish Americans. I agree 100%. And I, I read a lot of Stan Lee interviews, and I don't know if he ever overtly said that this is based on that. Um, I know as a storyteller and a writer, he'd probably much rather... Um, Sorry, we had a sound issue there. Sorry, yeah. say again, right? Uh, I was just saying, like, I think that as a writer and a storyteller, uh, usually they would rather be vague and leave it up to uh, people's interpretation. But there's definitely strong potential for metaphor. Um, between the release of issue one and issue five, I believe there was the bombing of the Baptist church in Alabama. Yeah. Um, so a number of these things probably infused uh, where he was coming from. Um, and especially like you already said, there, there's a heavy uh, Jewish presence in the publishing industry and certainly in comics publishing as well. So that had to be there. And it was interesting because like his background, I think he used that to create um, a really interesting villain in Magneto who yeah. is somebody who you can sympathize with. And there a lot of people in the seventies also, and we talked about this off air was that they felt that professor X and Magneto were um, they could be compared to MLK and uh, Malcolm X. Um, you know, he never admitted that, but um, you can stretch the metaphor far enough and see how it works. Listen, I, I think some people would say that comics are, some people that don't read comics might think that they're simplistic, but they do reflect the culture they're in. Again, I'm just going to hit, We you brought it up, Kennedy Assassination 63, Civil Rights Act 64, the Selma to Montgomery March and Bloody Sunday on the Bridge with John Lewis. And that's, uh, would that be 65? Then you have Voting Rights Act 65. Malcolm X is assassinated 65. Think about that short period of time. And I don't think, um, it doesn't matter if you're rushing in comics and you're, you know, you're struggling to do your business. If you're a Jewish American person in that time period, I think you're sensitized. That's 20 years after World War II. These men, largely, there were women involved, and we'll talk about that shortly too, but these men making these comics at that time are in the culture, drinking the water, watching the news. When I say drinking the water, metaphorically, they're eating, drinking the things around them, and and that has to come up. And that makes some of these titles, like, I'm not saying you should buy X-Men 4, but you probably should. I'm I'm curious, I'm going to jump in here, Rand. For those like myself who don't necessarily know, especially these early issues, um, what what is it about? Real briefly, what is it about this specific story um, and and his background in this in this issue? What is it about it that that ties into history? In in X Men Four, there's um, Magneto is kind of building an army, and they look like Nazis. They have a letter on their shirt, and there's I don't know if it's that issue. And Ryan and I talked about this. I can't remember which issue. Magneto was in the Holocaust. He is a Holocaust survivor. His desires come from fear. So, you know, a James Bond villain or a bad villain wants something ridiculous often. And sometimes even the monsters they create are sympathetic in that, you know, the the Fantastic Four with the mole man or the mole people, you feel bad for the mole people because they're underground and they want something in the upper world or whatever. But in the case of Magneto, he is actively afraid of people and humanity has been dangerous to him. And he has a reason why he's doing what he's doing to be safe and out of fear. And if you are 
thinking about a Holocaust survivor and you're thinking about that being baked into a comic that's usually aimed at kids, it is incredibly powerful. And there is a frame in that. Uh, Nick, do you want to give me the overhead for a second? Look at the soldiers. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, look at the helmet. Like it's clear what they're saying. Yeah. And that kind of resonance to me makes X-Men 4 a buy. Now, how much am I going to pay for an X-Men 4, though? On record, uh, the highest is 26290 But if you go way down, you can get one in the, the really low, say under under four under 4.5 in the less than $1,000 range. And to me, that's a buy. Yeah. To me, that's a buy. Let's jump to six, guys. Now, somebody might say, why six? Uh, why six, Rand? Somebody did say <laughs> that. Well, so for me, six was a grab. Should I tell you why I know about these old X-Men? Because uh, you're old? It's not because I was born. <laughs> it's not because I was born back then. It's because there was a kid in my town. Do you remember Dr. Baker, Isaac? Uh, I think so, in Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Baker's oldest son, Mark Baker, had all the X-Men from one, and I was friends with his younger brother. And I would give anything to get my hands on the comics and read them. Sometimes they would let me read the comics. So I had had a chance to look at some of these as a kid. Not a very small kid. It was when I was a little older. But I like Neymar, and this cover is very impactful. It's a Kirby cover, beautiful mm -hmm. Kirby cover. Namor is leaping out at the X-Men and he's got Magneto behind him. And you would say, wait, what's Namor doing here? Well, it turns out Namor is probably a mutant. And he may be, based on his creation by Bill Everett way back in Carl Burgos, he may be the first mutant in comics, in, in uh, Marvel Comics. So he predates the X-Men as a mutant. I can say this. I hate the opening page of X-Men 6. And I'm going to read you something. The men are eating. And Professor X says, It was a delicious meal, Jean. Thank you for helping out on the cook's day off. And she says, I was glad to do it, Professor. Okay. That's not cool. <laughs> and that's why she <laughs> no. becomes Dark Phoenix later, Brian. <laughs> oh, there it is. She had to make no dinner. Doubt. Yeah. But Even if you wonder some uh, it, questionable... Oh, it's very skeevy, isn't it? It's like my favorite... He's introduced as an attractive young lady. They have to turn the page to find him. They're just staring at her out the window and leering, and no one says her name. It's they, they, also, they also do it to Wanda the Scarlet Witch in this episode, uh, issue rather. I say episode all the time. Um, they try to use her to lure the Submariner. And the Submariner at one point says, you know what? I can't keep falling in love with these human girls. I keep getting distracted in different words. But it's, it's ludicrous. Um, it's of the time, though. I it mean, is of the time. My, my favorite, uh, yeah. my favorite uh, board game as a kid was Battleship. And I had this Battleship... Uh, I still have it. Is the the box of the game has like the father and the son going, "Oh, I I sunk my battleship." You something, and then it was like the daughter and the mom are in the background washing dishes, going, <laughs> "Oh, it's just oh, oh our, it, it's our so boys. gross." I love it. It's so bad. <laughs> but, but I I bought Ooh. this. I paid quite a bit for this for the shape. It's it's in very rough shape. Um, what's it worth? If I paid seventy dollars or seventy five for well, this, well, the average, the typical graded, or the typical rated average is seven. 
had a real clarity about the action, like it was more um, stiffly composed, so to speak. Lots this of six how, panel pages. Yeah, this is how this feels to me. It, it was, I mean, that's a very busy bunch of stuff, but yeah. nothing felt crazy. What I didn't like about this can be summarized by his face. The beard <laughs> out the bottom of his mask. <laughs> I don't like this character, Lucifer. I don't think he had a large role to play. This is one of those titles that's attainable for, for a key issue. This is what you're going to say. That's exactly it. I mean, this is just like, it's one of those ones where for, for it to be a first Roy Thomas, that's pretty great. And for an average raw value at 20 bucks, uh, just under 20 bucks, um, typical graded average for 8.0. Oh, it's actually a, a, a higher grade average at $123, but the record high is $3,883 at a 9.8. But Ryan knows the other reason why this is a must-buy. What happens in this issue that is actually a disappointment? Oh, right. This is the one where you find out uh, how Professor X lost the, the use of his legs. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not very good. And like it's not a very well-told story. It and is. it's not a well-drawn series of panels. No, and then tied to that horrible uh, character, Lucifer, who like... <sighs> What should I do? The beard really feels bad inside this mask. I could shave, but uh, oh, I know. Chop the bottom part of the mask. The worst part is what Charles says as a large block. It's literally like the equivalent of a piano falling out of a building. Yeah. That great slab released from above at the touch of a switch. I can't dodge in time. And then it lands on him. <laughs> so I wonder why they didn't hmm. adapt that to the movies. <laughs> listen we shouldn't laugh a man lost the use of his legs but it is a very lame and by the way you don't know who's going to be your greatest villain right you don't know that lucifer is not cool also a, a very on the nose name but i mean like what i'd love to know fly on the wall is that did because you know xavier not having the use of his legs is such an important you know character attribute for the remainder of the you know the much later very yes. very successful series was this decision made by roy the writer at the time as, as a huge decision or was it just sort of like stan saying no no you know this is we're gonna get to this he's gonna well, lose his we're life. gonna talk about this when we talk about episode or uh, sorry uh mm -hmm. episode you did it again why can't i do that <laughs> when we talk about 50 and 51 and we talk about the writer arnold drake we're going to talk about Professor X in a wheelchair. Um, I don't think this was a plan that Stanley had when they created this series. I think that's a retcon, and I think it's a yeah. throwaway. I think it's a very um, he's obviously. Do you notice how the bad the baddie here, Lucifer, is kind of Hydra y, kind of like Amy, very one mysterious. Those, yeah, so one of that those, kind of cliffhanger. You know, it's a bad guy that has like too much cloth on his outfit like he's one of those guys it doesn't feel like a stan lee story like i don't think stan would miss an opportunity like he would be he loses the use of his legs saving someone's life like he's doing something heroic you would think that somebody would say that oh no i have what? an idea right as so opposed to the ceiling yeah 
uh, that we know we don't see that build up. There's so it's no literally just it just happens like no reason. That's it. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. And and Star you Wars. see uh, Ryan made a comment that it's very Raiders of the Lost Ark. You see in the cover, you know, come back to. Yeah, sorry. He went to it. It's like Indiana Jones, right? I got oh, my yeah. pistol. Yeah. I got my. It's the dude. Oh, my it's the temple. The temple but, by the way, the guy who is threatening. The guy with the gun just has his fist up, like as if to say, ah, "You watch out!" and just forgot to get the gun. That's a, that's a very a old pivotal moment. Go ahead. A disappointing. It like an old, uh, looks like an old Dungeons and Dragons module. I was going to say the same you know, thing. Like yeah, he, he failed his dexterity saving throw, and the block hit him. But there is another reason why that is good. Now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I mean. If we go back in time, you should pick up 12, right? You want issue 12 and you want issue 14, but this might be the second or third blob. This might be an early blob and this might be an early Eunice the Untouchable who has one of the most unfortunate names. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't I've never liked Eunice the Untouchable. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> but You're not but supposed to touch it. No. Around this <laughs> Well, coming up to 20, I'm going to jump back. You're looking at who are going to be the bad guys that are going to last. So in sure my not. notes here, I have to go back. Would we go back and pick up 12 and 14? The Let's answer would be yes. Here's 12. We got 12. The jugger is that what, the first appearance of the Juggernaut? Is that what that is? 12 is the first Juggernaut. Uh, yeah. And that's the origin of Professor X. Yeah. So you want that one. Only only $43,000, everybody. That's why you yeah, can't get it. But under $1,000 at a grade sevens that's not horrible and then that's a good bad guy juggernaut appears for years and years and ryan mm -hmm. being a later x-men reader how many times did you see juggernaut play a key, a key role right and you said 14 yeah. i love 14. this cover this cover is so jack you <laughs> must have 14 again contrasted with 20 we cover. have a forgettable bad guy who are the bad guys in 14 the sentinels and this is a much more attainable uh, at the top record at sixty seven hundred, uh, and you're under a thousand dollars by eight point five. So it's, again, it's an it's an attainable book. And we all know how critical the Sentinels become. And I would speculate that the Sentinels will be in, in, uh, if they don't use them in the movies. I'd be surprised. Put it that way. I think they will be uh, Sentinels oh. of a type. Don't you think? I just clicked wish list on this one. <laughs> oh, added to his wish list. Yeah, this is 14 has a beautiful cover. If you haven't yeah. seen it, go look at it, guys. It's not here. But I wanted to say 21st here's because again. here's again, you're looking for bad guys. As a, uh, yeah, there's that beautiful cover. As a comic creator, you're trying to find what's going to take hold. What are you going to come back to again and again? Sorry, you're, you said comic creator. You mean comic collector. Like, comic, no, no, no. I oh, mean comic creator. I see what you're saying. From the perspective of a Lee and Kirby, you're going to try and say, who's going to last? Like, where's the Doctor Doom for this? We know it's Magneto. Yeah. But we need something else. Who's the Galactus or whatever? You're always looking for the thing that you come back to. And talk about a series where you can pick up, uh, you can go down the line and go, what's, you know, what's your favorite character? What's the popular character that, yeah. that you know, and then you can go back and collect that, the first up, because there's just so many of them. <laughs> And that Sentinel's issue is a critical. 14 is key. Beautiful cover. I like, I even like the color on that cover. Yeah. It's nice. And and sometimes mm -hmm. covers can be a little bit bright and crazy. That has a moodiness to it. The thing about cover price I really like is the, the layout of seeing all of the covers 
um, hence cover price, uh, out front in the in the interface like this. Because as a comic collector myself, it's it, it is it is sort of that's you know that's the key thing. You're looking for oh I want to find this issue or I remember it was maybe it was 21, maybe it was 22, and you can kind of sift through it in a nice way. And also when we're talking about key artists like Jack Kirby, you can literally feel him at his prime just by scrolling through a few of these here. I mean, we were just talking about uh, issue 14. Here, I was about to say episode. You're going to get me on this thing. Um, and I mean, like, you could just see Jack Kirby uh, over here at 16. Jack Kirby's all the outstretched, big, chunky fingers and hands. And he was definitely, you know, doing his Jack Kirby thing at but this the, time. The thing that makes it more impressive is what he was doing at the exact same time, how much he was juggling. Well, that's just it. I mean, like, you know, listening to to some of what was going on at the time with to think that he was doing a team book like this with with Stan and Stan and Jack keeping this in their heads at the same time as like you say like Avengers and everything else like that's that's insanity like how yeah. do you how do you do this all <laughs> let's jump to 39 because this is where things get really exciting for the X-Men so again this is one that I bought later but I had to get because it was one that was so exciting when I was reading back in Clinton back in the old days this one caught my eye because the costumes changed. I don't like the way they changed. It's ludicrous. Oh, no, they're pretty bad. Yeah, it's bad. But you have to have this. If you're an X-Men collector, there's sort of, that's the X-Men that you might recognize. You might say, wait a minute. That's not what Angel looks like. You mean the yellow, the yellow and blue change? I thought that didn't change until mm -hmm. the 90s. This is amazing. You might think Beast doesn't quite look right. But look. Bobby's the 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 sheen rather than the snowball. The other two characters, Cyclops and Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, they look like Cyclops and Jean Grey, Marvel Girl. And by the way, yeah. they put her in a mini. Mm -hmm. I Very mean, 60s. that's there. This is that thing again. But I love that cover, and that's George Tuska, and that's why I was confused with the other one. But if you look inside. The art is actually, I know, this is a beat-up one. Somebody got in here with a red pen. The art is pretty good. And you realize that George Tuska is one of these guys. I'll just pick this as one of the pages I wanted. He's one of these guys that you could say, George, we need this fast. And George was able to tell a story with really nice layouts really quick and just bang through these issues. Tuska had a long career until that looks like a like a classic comic. It's a comic. It, what you said mm -hmm. is what I say. Look at yeah. this frame down here. Yeah, the comics comic. It's it is a comics comic. It's very busy. It's exciting for a kid. There's lots of stuff happening. And when he can't do detail, he makes sure he's got lots of stuff to fill the frame. The words the intensity of the expressions. And, and again, why, why, like why are you picking this up as a key issue? Let's, let's go back over you that. You have to get it because of their costumes. I see. It's a costume shift. And, the and reasoning attainable, is... Attainable. This is a good one. The this reasoning is, nice is brutal. I bought it even though it was in rough shape because of the costumes. Right. Um, uh, back under, to your previous point earlier, um, where do those costumes come from, Red? Well, of course... Set them up. <laughs> I just remembered something, something great. Just before the episode with the juggernaut, I had been hard at work on a pet project of mine with the professor's permission. 
Here's a package for each of you. In it, you'll find a new costume. I had my sewing machine out. She sure did. Look at Only the way she's standing. Only after permission. Don't forget she got permission. She yeah. got permission, guys. Yeah, from the man. And then she stands and, uh, like a model. The Beast is kind of a pill about the whole ordeal, too. He doesn't like happy. the tight sleeves, Ryan. Oh. He I doesn't show off his manly muscles. <laughs> um, wow. I love the new costumes. I do not like that Gene had to make them basically with permission. Men um, don't know how to sew, Rand. Are you kidding? It's the 60s. <laughs> it's very, very sad. But George Tuska, I think, does a nice job in this. And again, he had to follow Jack Kirby early and would not have wanted to um, change a lot of stuff. Wouldn't You know what I mean? So... What's the mandate? We got to change the costumes. And, and, and it comes from Professor X. He's like, you're not kids anymore. You fought a lot of people. You've graduated. You get to have your own personality. To me, that's suggestive of trying to get some juice into this lineup. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that they were they were making decisions at this time based on readership and numbers. And when yeah. there are dips and falls, like, okay, change it up, everybody. Yeah. Have somebody sew up some costumes. I mean, like, and sometimes I've heard, especially nowadays of, you know, modern artists making arbitrary decisions like this on their own, which is, I guess, you know, can, can, you know, ruffle some feathers amongst other artists. If there's multiple artists in the same book, as we know with cutting certain characters hair uh, in some comics that we've seen. Um, and also, and, and, you know, sometimes they're making a decision because like, like we were saying is that they need to up their numbers again. It becomes a, a battle, right? You're trying to have a market product. You're trying to do something interesting and creative. You're trying to change something, but not too much. How much can I get 39 for? Like, I want people to go buy 39 well, because 39. it's important. Yeah, 39 it's is actually, cheap. again, it's attainable. Uh, like the top mm -hmm. graded the top grade, uh, grade on record, at uh, on this record anyway, at 9.6 is, is under $2,000, 1680. Um, so, you know, even in a really good shape, you're under under a couple of grand. Is yeah, actually, for a 6.5, the average is 56 bucks. I paid 20 for it. Uh, or even less. I might have paid 18, 16, 18 bucks for that one now that I think about it. It's also, like you say, it's a great it's a great cover and a great yeah. moment in time. So this is, again, coming back to this whole idea where we always have key issues that you might not necessarily think yeah. right out of the gate. Oh, it's not a number one, but hey, it's the first time they look and, like And by this. the way, I might add, if you go back to mine, Nick, I I realize the inside is is pretty rough, but the cover pops, right? It looks nice. Yes, yeah, it looks great. I mean, he, he did the, the kid that inked it, put the ink on the snowball, but... Cyclops looks great. I liked the way it felt. Oh, you I mean thought. the kid that inked it, not the actual person? Sorry, the it. actual kid that went through it with red pen I got and, you. and made yeah. it. He helped out a lot. Somebody did that too. Some <laughs> of my old ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's jump. Jump into 53. I'm going to stop before we get to 53. I want to talk about 40 because right. it's on my want list. 40. The, the day that I bought 39, I'll even say I bought these in Los Angeles at House of Secrets in Burbank. I love going there. You know the place, Isaac, in Burbank? Oh, yeah. House of Secret. So I was in there, and they had a bunch of X-Men, and I had to make some hard and fast decisions. And one of my decisions was I was going to get 40 or 53. Now, I used to be an English teacher, and I taught Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And this 40 has Frankenstein. That's such a bizarre addition. <laughs> or That's does it. it? Or does it? Remember I said that Roy Thompson is a bit of a reader. Thompson? He's a well-read guy. Lots of people were well-read. Uh they have a Frankenstein here that follows some of the story of Frankenstein. So up in the North Pole, 
there's something in ice and it's Frankenstein. And at the end of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the monster is going off. By the way, when we say Frankenstein, it's actually Frankenstein's monster. The monster goes off. He's sick of people. He's angry. And the X-Men get into a tussle with him. But it's not actually Frankenstein's monster. It's an alien. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you say, wait. It, it... Then why is it saying on the cover? <laughs> why? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's an alien that looks like Frankenstein's monster. Because he's mimicking old Universal movies. Ah. Yeah. So I didn't buy it. I bought 53. But not there that day were two X-Men comics that everybody needs to buy. Isaac, look up 50 and 51. Ryan and I were talking about this earlier. How about those two Steranko covers for 50 oh, and 51? Yeah. Stand by. Stand I won the wrong page, everybody. Here's 50 and 50. Oh, wow. Look at that 50, Isaac. And coming up. Now, we were lucky enough to interview Steranko and spend some time with him over the years at Comic-Con in San Diego. He's a guy, if you get a chance to talk to him, you're talking to one of the most influential, knowledgeable human beings in comics. He's an artist. He's a magician. He's an escape artist. He's a devil-may-care playboy. He's an interesting character in his own right. He's an old man now but he is still charming and still very cool. And he did the absolutely beautiful pairing of 50 and 51. And 50, for me, really jumps out. I've seen it lots of places. Do you want to talk about how much 50 is? Yeah, 51's less good, right? Yeah, we'll go back to 51. Yeah. But when you see 50, it's Polaris, oh, yeah. I believe. Isn't yeah. it Lorna, Ryan? <clears throat> yeah, 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 it we, is. Yeah, we had that. Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and it's got the Kirby Crackle, you said... But it's oh, got lots its, of that. Yeah, it's got its Steranko feel. He was incorporating pop art. We'll talk about him another time. This is a comic yeah. that you should buy if you see it. I cheaped out the times that I've seen it. I yeah. wish that I had it. Look what it's going for. Yeah, yeah. Your top, your tops. Uh, you know, the record high is forty-one hundred. Uh, but yeah, if you're in the the graded nine point six, nine point four, you're still under a thousand dollars, and you know, so it's it's attainable, and it's um. I always say attainable as if to say, ah, oh, don't you have $1,000 kicking around for a comic? That sounds like I do, which I don't. But this um, is an investment it's, comic. It's an investment comic. Yeah, as, as, sure. an, as an investment comic, this is actually uh, a pretty great one um, for sure, especially with a cover like that. And I think Steranko is doing CGC signings right now. be pretty rad. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I think, think the so. other one was 55 was the cover that we well, were like. That's the thing. We'll talk about 55 in a minute because it pairs up with it beautifully. It does. But I'm going to pull out my 53. Now, 53 is very important to us because we know from last week, Barry Windsor Smith started on Conan. We did Conan last week, Ryan. Barry Windsor Smith got his start in Marvel right here. Roy Thomas was a fan of a young man named Barry Smith. Barry Smith came to New York... Barry Smith had been doing some work back in England. Um, I'm not going to remember exactly what he was doing over there. People are going to remember. He did some pop pinups. He did some one-offs. And I think he had to do some of this work on a park bench. Like he was sitting in a public place. He didn't have an office. And no he was given a chance. Now, Blastar, totally forgettable. The cover, <laughs> what? The cover Kirby-esque. What you see inside is Barry Smith loves his Kirby. Oh, yeah. Right? It's all around. He is doing his best. 
it's, it, you know, he's got some stuff that's not quite right, but it's very influenced by Kirby. And it's got some beautiful elements that shows the talent ahead for my money, right? He's not himself yet. He's a young Barry Smith. And he was like, he, he basically came over because like, oh, sure, stop by the offices. And then he, he really did. Yeah, well, no, he literally came in and said, you know, give me a chance. And they gave him a chance. Is this, his, a is this his job. first book in Marvel at like period? This is his first Marvel book. Wow. So this oh, is, really? This is actually a really important book, isn't it? It's important for me. Yeah. So you can really tell that he's doing like Kirby and not expressing yeah. his true self there. That one picture at first, I thought that was the Silver Surfer when that crouched down. No, uh, it's Iceman. Very Kirby. It, it, it is um, Kirby Silver cool Surfer, book. but it's Iceman. Yeah, it looks like it exactly. Yeah. Just give us an overhead again. again. I'll come up. Yeah. Total. <laughs> but what I love about it is they gave him a chance. He did a, a nice job. It's a great piece. It's got a forgettable character. Uh, I mean, I don't think that Arnold Drake, and that's where we're really going to have a conversation. I don't think Arnold Drake was 100% thrilled to be doing X-Men for a strange reason. Tangent. I don't know if you guys know who Arnold Drake is, but I'll bet you know this title. Doom Patrol. Oh. Arnold Drake is the creator of Doom Patrol. Now, when I open Doom Patrol, look at the chief. What do you notice about the chief? What's he sitting on? Oh, a wheelchair. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you telling me the Doom Patrol is a strange team, the world's strangest heroes, a strange team of freaks, and that their boss, their their trainer, is a guy in a wheelchair, and that they're not loved by the people around them, and they don't fit in, and they're misfits? Hmm. Hmm. What year is this one? This is the same year. Wow. They don't fight hmm. the Brotherhood of evil mutants, they fight the brotherhood of evil. Ooh. For years, Arnold Drake <laughs> would say out loud, Stanley had time to copy. This is not from the first. One of my one of my wanted comics is where I think it's um uh, Strange Adventures 83 is the issue that has the first Doom Patrol. I've seen it come up. I had an opportunity to buy one for $240. It was in London, guys. Brom had it in London, Ontario, and he wanted to sell it to me for two forty five. If you want to look it up, Strange Adventures 83, Working Isaac on, on cover price. Yeah. Um, Brom was selling it for two forty five. It was in good shape, and now it's gone up. I was trying to time it around Doom Patrol and uh, Swamp Thing on DC Universe, right? I thought those two titles were going to be coming out and were going to be pretty cool. But what is also exciting, you want Doom Patrol if you're an X-Men collector because you want to play that back and forth. You want to make a decision. I don't think it's 83. Oh. Uh, number 83 is uh, Assignment in Eternity. Oh, well, you know what? I can't remember right now. It's ridiculous that I can't remember because I get an eBay announcement every time it comes up for sale. So that's like <laughs> frequently. And you'd think I'd remember. But it's My Strange Adventure, I believe. You go look it up. 80. Somebody right now is knowing. It's 80. Sorry. 80? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a great it cover too. Yeah, here we go. With the alien on it. Yep, yeah. I believe so. Uh, nope, that's, that's not, not it. That's not either. I'm no. sorry. Well, listen, 
we're not cutting this out. This is staying in. We'll figure it out. <laughs> the story. I think the title's Greatest Adventures. I just Googled it real quick. Oh, it is Greatest, Greatest Adventures. Adventures. I said Strange Adventures. Adventures. Sorry, guys. Listen, this is, this is why we need cover price to help us. Yeah. The tool is only as good as the tool up here, and mine is broken right now. <laughs> it's full of X-Men. But I will say, Arnold Drake later decided it was parallel construction something that does happen in comics all the time. And we've seen parallel construction happen, not just between DC and Marvel, but inside Marvel. You've seen it happen where people are doing the same things at the same time and titles look the same. Everybody knows it happens in movies. It happens in TV shows. I don't know if you can blame anybody. I don't think- There it is. There you got it. There it is. Yeah. Boom. Greatest I, advantage. I can oh, see, that's very cool. Looking. Well, I can see how you, you mess up the or you, you made the mistake on the name because there's so many. <laughs> well, I have too many I have too many things in my head. I haven't been studying the DC right now. Yeah. But we will go to DC soon. Yeah. Um DC is making people angry in comics right now. This is how people know when we recorded this. Um DC and Diamond are are not together anymore. So mm. that's what's happening. Long story short, uh Arnold Drake took back what he said. I think he didn't blame Stanley for ripping it off, but at one point he did think it was a little bit weird, and Stanley did have time. Um, we know that people making comics back then were under brutal time pressures. We know that there was a lot of back and forth between artists. I mean, can you think of another example, Ryan, of something between people at DC and Marvel where there was some chicanery? Does anything pop into your head? Chicanery in what way, like Moon Knight and Batman, or something like that? Oh yeah, there's all kinds of like they would do it. They were just open about it. Like they have this. I I even heard that you may know more about this, but wasn't like Claremont's. I think there's going to be a future episode about the later X Men. But when he redid the franchise later, um, wasn't that because of Teen Titans? Well, some people say that. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of back and forth. I think it makes sense. I don't think there's enough that later became the same. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you kept reading, you wouldn't go, oh yeah, it's parallel lines keep going. But they could have been at one point influenced by each other in that pair of titles. And the irony is Arnold Drake then comes over and writes, I don't know, ten issues or something like that. I can't remember yeah. how many. Yeah, between him and I think there's somebody else. Like Thomas was away for I think a dozen issues and then came back. Mm-hmm. I think you're right though. Like I think between the different companies, um, when they want to kind of do their own version of something, they don't copy it exactly. It's yeah. more like the broad stroke. So I think it's like, oh, they've got a team book that seems to be really popular over there, and the the hook and the gimmick is yeah. diversity. Let's do that. Yeah, and the difference. The difference between uh, the way they would play their characters out, just the worlds felt so different or the universe felt Mm -hmm. so different. If you did want to say that Moon Knight and Batman were very similar, Moon Knight certainly went in a different direction very quickly. And we can talk about Moon Knight another day, a very interesting character. But let's jump to when X-Men, I think, started to blossom just before it fell off. Neil Adams. You're going to say, that's not Neil Adams. I know, that's someone else. What happened between 53 and 66 was Neil Adams. So leading up to this, there is a run that I do not have. And the reason why I do not have that run is because 
these are some old X-Men that cost a little more, and I want good ones. The covers are good, but the interior art is pretty great. So I'll tell you which ones they are. 56 to 63 inclusive. Isaac, you go back and look at those, particularly 55, as Ryan said earlier. 55 is beautiful. In that run, you have Sauron, you have Kazar, you have Savage Land. Kazar? Yeah, Kazar. Mm-hmm. Savage Land. You have some classic, interesting stuff. You have a beautiful Sentinels cover, I believe. But you have 65. There's a skip of 64. So you have 56 to 63, skips 64, and you have 65. These, for me, are must-gets. These are on my list and I bet you Ryan will be putting them on his. That 55 yeah. <laughs> is outrageous. 57, outrageous. 58, gorgeous. Just really, really good. Very Tron. I like this cover. Which one? 58. Well, yeah. it also is reminiscent of a Kirkham Wolverine. Wasn't it a Kirkham Wolverine that was the, what they call the banana Wolverine? That was at New York Comic Con? Don't remember that. Okay, well, we'll talk about that another time. I love that. That's a gorgeous cover. That that for me. So I'm always looking for really good 55, 57, and 58 for the covers, and then just to get the run, I want to get, as I say, all of them, and they do tend to go for more money. Now I've seen 55 for a pretty decent price before. The ones that are most expensive out of that run, you can see, Isaac, you can dig in mm-hmm. a little deeper. It tends to be 57 because that cover's so beautiful. 55 though. is record at 524. <clears throat> uh, this is one of those ones where a comic shop will probably <clears throat> jack up the 55 too. Yeah. You'll see it for a little more than you want to pay. Yeah, so and if they have the run, you, you know, your wallet gets a little tired. 57 You're- is 4,100 at a... A nine point eight. So yeah, it's it's a thousand bucks at a nine point six, pretty much. So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's more expensive in that run for sure. But definitely snag those if you see them. There are a few other little firsts in there, but I wanted to stop on sixty six. I bought sixty six instead of all those expensive Neil Adams comics, which were there in that run at House of Secrets. This comic is a must have for a few different reasons. One of them is it's the final run before they lose the plot. I believe it's 1970. It sure is. And if you pick it, by the way, if you pick it up and open it, it says Sal Busema Artist. We've talked about Sal Busema Mm -hmm. because Sal and his brother, very famous, John Busema, one of the greatest artists of all time in Marvel. Sal, a less confident artist. This is a, a, a bit of proof that Sal was great. This looks like a 70s comic book. And it's 1970. This comic book feels like a Marvel comic book all the way through. Sal does a great job. He was always good with the Hulk. This has the Hulk in it. He kind of does some Hulky stuff with the Beast, with Hank, which I like. He does a good job with fights. It's very action-packed, blah, blah, blah. But what is also exciting about it, aside from it being the last, that's a Marie Severn cover. Now... Does it say Marie Severn? No. And if you look at some of the online resources, they don't mention Marie Severn as being the cover artist here. And you're going to say, well, Marie Severn's a girl's name. There was a time when there weren't a lot of female artists 
But this woman was early on in Marvel. She was super important in Marvel. She passed away some time ago, maybe six years ago or four years ago, something like that. You'd think I'd have researched that. I'm doing Marie Severn from memory here. I'm, I don't have notes on Marie. But what she's known for, she got her start at EC doing color. So if you think of some of those crazy EC horror comics that are really, um, you know, really creepy backwash. There's like a blue cast or a gray cast. She was doing that. This is a, achievable to get a nice Marie Severn cover. And it's that last of the, the original uh, X-Men run. And you get the the kind of the last of that with her work in a way that shows off all of her skills. She was an inker. She was a colorist. She was able to sort of do quick work in the style of whomever she had to copy or not copy, but kind of keep run with. So if inside it's Salbusema, maybe she can do a cover that people think this is a Salbusema. But I think her Hulk is a little more refined than Sal's. Sal tends to draw him a certain way. We're familiar with, yeah, there you go. A very dark-faced oh, yeah. Hulk. You know what I mean? It's a grim expression. And then hers is a little more refined, a little more human. But look at the musculature on Warren and Beast. Really nice anatomy. Almost Neil Adams feel in the anatomy. So Marie Severn. You go look her up. It's Four, nice to get her stuff. She did a lot of really good Doctor Strange work as well. 408 and 9.4, so that's a, that's a really nice key issue there. You can get stuff that's under 100 bucks at an mm. 8. So I think it's a good buy. It is a great buy. I like the story, too. I like seeing the Hulk come in. It's got a lot of chock-full panels. It's really good. And, you know, it's the end of a good time by 70. Isaac, I think you know something about what's going on in 1970 that would make this classic old X-Men team feel less cool, maybe wasn't selling, wasn't as hip. What is happening in 1970? What comic Ooh, came out yeah, in 1970? Exactly. Yeah, you're thinking uh, Conan the Barbarian is coming out in 1970. It's a different feel, isn't it? It's a different it? feel, yeah. And, it, well, it's, and that was, again, by kind of fan reaction because people were saying hey we want something something different and they they came up with something different so or they came in to something different so yeah it, it, it is an end of an era uh for sure and then this is about to obviously uh x-men is about to be completely re revamped several years later now i uh, i would say ryan you start collecting the yeah. x-men that come later but i want to pull you back for a minute we're going to have you back for another for sure. episode but I want to say, you're a musician. You know your music history. Do you think there's something where the culture of the time, you know, musically, and they weren't, the, the civil rights vibe kind of went away. Yeah. It turned into a, a different thing. Was it just that it wasn't cool and certain other things became cool? Like, I, and by the way, you don't have to be an expert. Just speculate. You know your music at no, the time. No, I think so. I think you hit it uh, right in the head. There's a lot of things happening in politics. And, um, you know, like you've already mentioned the civil rights movement, I think the superhero genre was a little passe. And, uh, we talked about this earlier, like the Steranko stuff and the, um, the Neil Adams was like it had a cult following and it was probably like college kids and art kids. And, but in terms of just being, having a broader appeal to younger and, and, and older people, it wasn't selling. And I think a lot of that is just kind of a sign of the times. Like people felt that, 
a superhero story wasn't really relatable. They wanted something a little more dark and gritty. And uh, yes, I think you're right. Would this be the time, I'm wondering, would this be the time in comics where you have uh, an expansion, right? Like where there's a bunch of crazy stuff coming out. And it's it's Vietnam, right? Vietnam had yeah, been going on Vietnam pretty heavily. Well. I'm wondering if you see them get a little darker. Like Conan is certainly a little darker, a little bit um, more cynical. It certainly is cynical, but th- there's a jungle vibe, like darker, literally, the way yeah. things are drawn and things are a little more intense. And maybe some comics just seem just a little more ridiculous at that point. I'm wondering. Even, even the busyness of this cover in 66 is is kind of, well, you got a lot of, yeah, I can, I, it's almost like you can feel the tension in this as well, right? I think it's hard to keep something going, even if you look at talented writers. You're trying to not rehash the same stories over and over again. And if you imagine being Roy Thomas in 1970, he's doing this issue while he's writing Conan. Yeah, And he's read The Hobbit, and he's read Lord of the Rings, and he's read The Lancers. He's probably read Roger Zelaznier. Who knows what else he's been reading? And it's been really, maybe he's smoking pot and, you know what I mean, taking psychedelics. Like, we have no idea. But you get a sense that some of the the vibe of the world at that time would maybe make the X-Men look a little corny. Like, you said it yourself when you looked at that X-Men 1, Ryan, when you were reading it today to play catch-up, you said it just felt like it's yeah. 50s, not 60s. Yeah, it was very much that situational, relational, like almost comedic story and the heroic stuff and the great metaphor for mutant kind, and it wasn't really happening. So I could see telling those stories, and no one ever grows up in comics. Like, no matter how long they're writing it, they just remain teenagers forever. Yeah. Um, Except for that issue that he talked about where they get the costumes. That's why he gives it to them, because he thinks they're grown up. And then they, and they, they aren't really. individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about stuff that was emerging in comics at the time from an underground perspective. I'm sure those had bubbled up pretty hard as well. And so yeah, the competition like, is intense. Yeah, exactly. I think there's like more of an interest in true crime comics and things like that around that time as well. Like those darker sort of detective noir stories. Yeah, you know, there's artists that come up that would be doing crazy work. You would see, like, even look at stuff like Crumb or look at album covers or look at the influence of drugs yeah. and psychedelics on art at the time. And it might feel a bit square. And I'm not saying that, listen, we didn't do a ton of research. We don't, the end of the X-Men isn't something that we can fully get. Because I think if you dig into it, they basically talk about sales. So... We're trying yeah, that's to speculate. Yeah. It kind of, there's sort of a five year gap that's almost like a dark ages period where we don't really know what was going on. Then mid 70s, the, there was a real resurgence in like science fiction mm-hmm. and that big heroic um, sort of storytelling. And of course, you know, we had Star Wars coming out of that time. Um, and that's right around the time when X Men was revamped. I think it came back in 75. Is that right? Yeah. And what you have in 75, and we're going to talk about this later. You don't have to go overhead. I'm going to hold this up. You have this. And this, for you, I know for you, for me, this was a game changer. 
an absolute yeah. game changer. This is one of the most important comics in my life, for sure. When it came out, I couldn't get it. I, I wanted it so bad, and I couldn't get it. And getting this, even at a 6.5, was something that, you know, we'll talk about it next day. Yeah, definitely. It's a landmark comic, and what happened after that is absolutely incredible. I don't think Lee and Kirby could have imagined this crazy little band of outsiders would become what they become and what they still are even now oh not at all the most successful comics of all time in there well yeah those jim lee yeah. 90s x-men i don't think anything ever sold like that well listen we got to wrap we've got to wrap it up this probably we've been here for four hours haven't we <laughs> Something like that. ryan did i convince you to dig into your wallet during these covid times and maybe start looking for some of these titles yeah for sure like the the neil adam ones for sure i would I'd definitely like to get issue 56 the first neil adams um and looking back i'm surprised there are some that are definitely uh within a budget like yeah. one that i um one that i like is number 17 i don't know if you want to just popped up real quick at the end here but this one you could get a decent copy of for for you know under a hundred dollars and Number seventeen, the cover. There we go. Number seventeen is, up here. Yeah, that's it. Like this oh, yeah, cover, yeah. so Silver Age. Like I love it when they have this. You know, like you must not reveal the incredible ending to uh, any soul, and then they tell you that they're watching you. It's kind of cool, but I love that cover. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm, you're a sucker for the and none shall survive. Yeah. Oh, that's like. Um, how many of them I hope you survive the experience? When does that start happening? That's a classic X-Men cover poor trope. Ki poor Kitty Pride. Yeah, welcome to the X-Men. You know why that <laughs> one's exciting? That's 17. That? I know what happens in that title. There's a dovetail between the Sentinels and Magneto. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's just like, you're just done this and now that. It's a real sense. By, man, now I have to put that on my list. That one's not on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and another one I would add is like yeah. you don't have to look at it or anything like that, but um, the Neil Adams run when he joins, he comes in and I think like the second or third, uh, I'm going to call it episode of that story arc, which has got the living Pharaoh. Uh, but number 54, the beginning of that arc is when the character of Havoc makes his first appearance. So Havoc's is 54? Yeah. Are you a Havoc guy? I mean, sometimes. I don't, uh, he's one of those characters that people can't, pinned down like is he a good guy is he the anti-hero he's the hothead and it's kind of like the anti-scott sometimes what, um would you go back sorry to interrupt go ahead i'm gonna say it just depends on who's writing and whether or not he is you know he's an enjoyable character it is a key there's no question i didn't put on the list because of my own personal bias yeah but uh, i could have put the first <laughs> tom cassidy too the first black tom cassidy banshee that's way back don't Guys, I remember. You're getting into the weeds. Holy yeah, God. we're not going to go. See, this is this is why we couldn't yeah. do this. I yeah. tried to pick things that if I was telling someone else where to start, which is hopefully what I yeah, was doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, but now the deeper you go, the deeper you get. That's, that's the thing is you look at this title and there's just so much you can pull out of it. You can you can look at crossover issues. You can look at yeah. firsts of. You can look at well, yeah. what you just said. Is obvious. There's an Avengers crossover. Well, there's, there's a Spider-Man. I was literally cover scrolling down, and here's number sixty-seven, yeah. and there's, you know, isn't that the yeah. Torch? Human Torch, yeah. 
Yeah. There is. Yeah. Well, in, in fact, that, that there's an X-Men, an early X-Men with Spider-Man on the cover that is actually a beautiful cover. I haven't seen that one. And it's one that you would buy just for the cover. You wouldn't have to care. I remember somebody was trying to sell me uh, 19, which is, I think it's the first Mimic. He's the guy that has everybody's powers. It's a pretty funny cover. He looks like the beast. He's got wings like Warren. He's got the Cyclops eyes. He should probably be going yeah. like this at the same time. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, they were the old X Men. They're worth a pickup. Be careful which ones you choose. Yeah, it's easy to get ripped off because everybody knows it's coming back. Everybody knows it's a title that is going to be incorporated into the film. So a lot of comic shops. And by the way, I am not suggesting we want to rip off comic shops. If there's a company I don't want to go down, it's a comic shop in any given town. I want them to do well. Um, but it's they see things that they perceive as being a value pop that don't always pop the value. Do you find that too, Ryan? And then we'll wind up. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think especially on um, very recognizable titles like X-Men or Avengers, um, because I've found that too. Like I, over the last few years, I was trying to buy all of Claremont's consecutive run mm-hmm. and I've got a lot of it that I wish I would have been quicker and started with sort of the earlier, more expensive ones mm-hmm. because I've just seen them go up in value so much over the last couple of years. Like, um, and it's kind of a drag. I could have saved myself some money, but um, yeah, but X-Men's pretty notorious for that. And what we're talking about is we're not talking about speculation. We're not saying, you know, there's going to be a movie with this character, boom, pump and dump. That is right. the opposite of what we want. And I know the guys at Cover Price don't want that. What we want to do is build the story behind the title. When you buy it, we're hoping you buy it for an investment that you want to keep because of the story. You want to put it up. You want to look at it. You want to read it. You'll find a lot of our comics are open because we look at them and we spend some time with them. And that may be stupid, but that's the way we want to enjoy them. And here we are doing it. On episode three, key issue, the definitive podcast with our friends Cover Price, the Cover Price key issue. Ryan Buckley, thanks for coming in. Uh, I hope you didn't feel like we tromped you too hard. I'm sure the next episode we have you back, that's going to be your it's playground. It's going to be the wheelhouse. Yeah, no, it'll be great. It was, it was fun. Okay. Are you suggesting we do three X-Men runs? No, well, we were just doing three because it was episode it was three. three, and we we're doing like Wolverine claws. I don't know what we we're doing. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Wolverine, um, not least because we are Canadians, and, and we're going to talk about the Canadian oh. connection because there's an underloved X title, Alpha Flight, that still doesn't get loved. They're so cheap, so cheap. Next time to be continued. To be continued. <laughs>